0: That being said, uh, let's just do the theme of today, uh, which is the foundations of a Christ-centered formation, and um, so this goes from the generality to the particular, particular So Next week, next time we'll talk about identity. So, it's just what are the presuppositions that we can even talk about formation, and what do we mean with formation and formation? Um, for us as members of Christie, it has quite a broad sense. So it's not just, um, I mean, as you know, it's not just an intellectual formation, but we speak of integral formation. So uh, human, spiritual, apostolic, um, community, it, it involves the whole person you know, um, heart, emotions, will. Um, and really, to look at it from a gospel perspective, it's, it's all about the transformation into Christ and this umgestaltung in Christus, as Paul would say, this transformation to him, and this following Jesus um, and becoming more and more like him. So what are the presuppositions of that being able to be done or, you know, that happening? So here, there's three aspects I would like to mention today. One is the calling of, of the human person and his formation. The second would be, uh, well, this transformation to Christ. And this third would be the presuppositions. So the first point, ...of the first point. Okay. Um, I hope this doesn't get technical. If we all fall asleep, we can just go back to the temple... ...and drink some more and talk about life... ...and how everybody's summer was. and So on. Um, So the first point is, is... ...the vocation of the human person. So in all... ...already the last thousand years in Christian thought... ...in this idea that we can be transformed... ...or that this formation is possible... ...is based in the biblical claim that the human person is created in the image of God. So, this has its consequence that the person has the capacity of entering into a personal relationship with God. So there's an I and there's a you. you know, there's, there's me and then there's him you know, and, and there's a you that I can speak to on the other side. In other words, that the human person is capable of the covenant we we're thinking a lot about the covenant here When we in our past mass series when we we're talking about what is the significance of the mass and, and talking this about this idea of the difference between a contract and a covenant. Um, in German, you would say Bund und Vertrag. Um, so the, 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 the contract is an exchange of things and the covenant is an exchange of persons. So it's you know, like marriage, you would say, is a covenant and not a contract. It, you know, you're not exchanging things or calculating how you're going to live this life. But it's saying, "I belong to you; you belong to me," and it's it's a mutual exchange of a person. And that's precisely what we say. You know, the, the, um, God can call us to that, or we can even talk about that being I mean, possible. Why? Because we're created in His image, you know, as male and female. We're, we're, we, there's a likeness to God, which makes that possible, even. So that's the first idea. The second idea is that. Being a human person is at the same time. And this works better in German. Gabe und Aufgabe. You know, so it's a gift and a task at the same time. So it's it's a gift um, of you know of God, um, and at the same time it's a task that He's given us, a responsibility that He's giving us in the world. So um, because you know the plant and the rock and the mountain don't have that capacity. Um, so it's. You talk about the consequence of this, of the beauty and the responsibility and the greatness of what it means to be man. And at the same time, the drama, you know, because it always involves human freedom and the, and, the, and the danger. As soon as you have responsibility, it's because we are freedom, and that brings with it the risk of misusing that freedom and creating a disaster for ourselves and for others. Um, and that's maybe the third aspect, which would be that um, the human person has free will, um, and which makes him makes it possible that through a firm adhesion to the will of God, he becomes free. Which sounds very countercultural, you know, again, totally against the idea that freedom means you can do what you want, when you want, how you want, whatever you want. Um, but. The, the Christian claim is that the human person becomes free in the, the degree that he's adhering to the will of God because in the degree that he does that he is living in the truth and so when Jesus says the truth will make you free he's not just he's not just saying that about the truth that we know but also the truth that we live and if the human person is image of God and God is this love, then the union with him is the deepest truth about the human person. You know? This call to live in union with God. And the more he doesn't live that, the more he's living a lie. You know? And the more he, he lives, he loses his meaning and he's frustrated and unhappy. Would okay, like to third thing. Just have you talk now, we speak about later, can, we, can ask questions? Yeah, whatever, you interrupt me. Maybe not too often. <laughs> just not I'll get insecure I just, I had a insecure this, and I just, just now have this picture in my head of when you are you're in a river and the will of God is, is the flow of the river and if you stay in that flow you're free you can move if you can swim of course but you can move you can do whatever you like if there's no rocks of course but yeah. then as soon as you, if, as you as soon as you fight against that against that flow if you yeah. want to go this way or that way yeah. it will hinder you it will not be easy. Yeah, uh, just a little picture of that. Yeah, it's a n- n- nice image, no? It's, it's like the fish that's angry and wants to live outside of the water, no? Mm. Yeah, and that doesn't make him free because he's dead, so, so he's no longer capable of using his freedom because he just killed himself, mm. leaving the water. Yeah, I mean that's a nice image. Um, so the human freedom is all, always a limited freedom just by the fact that we're not God, right? So um, the fact is, what is the truth of our freedom? And Ultimately, I also like a lot what John Paul II says about this idea. He says, the human person has a greater desire for love than for freedom. And freedom is the, is, is the way, love is the goal. So um, we need freedom in order to love, but ultimately freedom is not the goal, but it's it's the means to an end, um, which is that decision to love, right? to Anyway, that's it's a huge theme we're talking hours about, just about freedom, but anyway so that's the, th- the third idea the fourth idea is that um, formation is the free and loving answer to a call of God who invites us um, to identify ourselves with the word of Jesus who says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect Matthew five forty-eight. now the l- end of his 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 homily his first homily um on the so-called Sermon on the Mount, where he gives us his in three chapters of Matthew, um, calls God Father seventeen times, and such beautiful teachings on on, on God and on human person. Um, at the end, he ends it with, you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's that's the calling and the greatness of the human calling, right? Um, which is, if it's not properly understood, can kind of, as you say in German, überfordern uns. You know? Um, but it has to be understood correctly. But but it's it's at the same time a a prophecy or an you know, that that um, that that's possible for the human person to reach perfection. And properly understood, not that doesn't mean that we never have make any mistakes. Right? So um, fifth idea about one of this first point is that God has created the human person to have. I mean, these are all basics. You all know all this anyway. But I think it's good to. To, um, to reflect once in a while about the basics. So, God has created the human person in order to ha- let him participate in his divine nature, you know, which is a quote from this first letter of Saint Peter, you know, he's, he's, he's saying the Christian claim is, is so maximal, you know, it's, it's not at all minimalistic um, about what is the goal of, of man. You know, it's nothing less than participate in the divine nature. So he's not saying participate in the divine action or just to participate in the divine life, uh, which in God is one well the same with nature. But and just but he's stressing the point that we're talking about the level of being and not just the level of action. So it's like the eben designs the nicht einmal das Tuns. We're called to to be united with God on on a to participate in in his very in his very nature, in his very being and not just in his not just in the action of someone, no. so it's a very profound type of in, transformation that we're talking about. Because he's he's giving us the capacity of of um, he, he's setting us up on a, on a totally different level than we than we would ever be capable of through our, just our human efforts. Um, this is where then this has huge consequences for formation and, and everything else in, in the Christian world really, especially It's above all in the Catholic worldview because um, our Protestant brothers and sisters see this a little bit differently, or at least they have in the past, maybe less and less. But um, because we're saying that, that through baptism, we are receiving a, on the level of being, a capacity of then acting supernaturally on the level of action so for example if I talk about the virtue of love charity as a supernatural virtue or the virtue of hope or the virtue of even all the human virtues have their supernatural counterparts for example the virtue of fortitude or temperance or justice or whatever and which are no longer just my effort to try to live these virtues but there's on the level of being all all of a sudden the capacity to act in in a godly manner that but it's it that it's god who's no longer either live but god lives in me he's giving me a strength i could never have just on my own so maybe a way of comparing this if we talk about the soul as the principle of life of the body we talk about the holy spirit as the principle of life of the soul so it's it's um participating in this divine life is giving us capacities to, to act in a new way. Why? Because there's, we really are different. You know, th- in other words, God is, is, is creating a change not just of behaviors in us. Okay, we're acting in a nicer way, but, but he's transforming our being. You know, I still, and this is the great mystery because I'm still me. I'm still me. And this is like the next consequence, maybe the final consequence of what we're just saying is, how does this work, grace and nature? You know? Because um, either is God helping me or like in my actions, or do, when I do something, is it my action or is it just God? You know? Or is it just me and not God? You know? how, how do those two things work together? You know? How do freedom and grace work together? You know? if, am I really free if God does everything? How do those? You know, where is the responsibility if God does everything? And this is where where um, huge battles have been fought in the history of, of, of the world and the history of the church and, and our understanding. Really, it's a Christological We would say it's, um, it's a crystallological problem because in, in the answer to it is, is it goes back to uh, that we given as Catholics is goes back to a council um, of Chalcedonia in the Year 380, where there was a big problem. One of it was called um, Nestorianism, and the other one was called Monophysitism, and the other one was called Arianism. And the ones one side said Jesus is God, and his human nature is just kind of appearance, um, the other side said he's man, and his godly nature is just kind of appearance, it's not really God, you know. Because he couldn't figure out how, how can it be both, you know? Um, and then Arius tried to, as best as he could maybe, not judging his intentions, but um, he, he kind of tried to make of Jesus kind of a mix, like 50-50, you know, maybe 50% God, 50% man, like kind of a super, like almost like a Greek mythology kind of Hercules type of guy. And Chalcedon said no to monophysitism, no to Nestorianism, and no to Arianism. to All three, and said there's a fourth option, and that is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And and that's a real, almost like a strange, weird kind of claim, you no? Know, because you say, well, how does that work? Um, there was another council afterwards, and started asking the same question about God, about Jesus, his free will, because in saying. Um, According to Chalcedon, Catholics have always affirmed there's two wills in Jesus a divine will and a human will. This is why he's saying, Father, if impossible that let this not my will but thy will be done. so this why? Because he's perfectly man and not just a kind of a half man. He's in all in us, in all things like us except for sin. Um, and this was so important for the fathers because they said, "What if God would not have assumed the whole human nature, totally become man, and everything like we, we would not have been redeemed. No. He, he became a total man like us. So, but the, the problem they were wrestling with was, was if Jesus has a human will, you know, and this is like human will compared to the divine will, is you know, divine will and human will, that the divine will would just smother his human will. There would be nothing left of it. Um, it would just totally disintegrate and this was an idea that thousands of years later you know, Sartre would bring up and others like him afterwards when they would say um, like especially in Sartre's, um famous syllogism um if I am free God does not exist but I am free so God does not exist now, that was kind of his, his, his famous syllogism why? because their understanding of 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 what of their God's understanding what God is is just is was we would say totally wrong because they would see God and uh, like others like him afterwards, some atheists and Feuerbach and they would see God as like the biggest thing around, you no? Know? Is and we would say we would talk about as Catholics, maybe Bishop Barron likes this phrase. He says talks about the non competitive transcendence of God. So is God in this room like Um, Well, no, in the sense of he's not something in this room. Um, He's not like the biggest thing around, bigger than Jupiter, bigger than the sun, bigger than... He's not something. But is in in his room, oh yes, because, I mean, if he wouldn't be here, everything would just disappear. So, but the point is, just because, you know, in, in, in the other vision saying this thing is here so i don't see god so he can't be here you know because it's either him or this thing or god is right here so and in this contemplation of things if god is just a being in the universe part of the universe at the end of the day then those two things can't coexist at the same time and the same thing was seen with freedom you Now if if i am free then how can how can god's freedom how does that work you know so they would and in Jesus is the same you know you can have divine freedom and human freedom at the same time our answer to that is also kind of well in the freedom thing it's, it's kind of the understanding what love is you know if I love someone I don't have a problem I would like to do what the other person would do you know there's this union of wills I, I, if there's a really deep deep relationship of love St. John of the Cross would go so far to say that in the deepest union with God and um, the human person is not just master of himself, he's not just supremely free, he doesn't have just a mastery over himself and the um, is um, not just lord over himself and over his decisions, but also over God. And that's what probably why Saint Bernard of Clairvaux would say about uh, Mary, his. his he would he would call her the omnipotentia supplicante, you no, know, the all powerful um, supplicator, or that God can't say no to her because it, it, it just the union is so strong. So what we're saying on the one hand there's there's a call to the human person of a covenantal relationship with God. Um, I'm yours and you're mine, and where that is really in its in its higher forms. Like it's real. It's not just you know I giving it. it just it's not just a one way street is what I'm saying. It's not just you know we say yes to whatever you say up there, but but there's there's a real relationship of 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 a covenant um, with God. That's our calling, our highest calling, which will be perfectly fulfilled in heaven and not not yet here on earth. But you know formation and transformation in Christ is all about take going that path, and but that brings with it the consequence again, of our understanding of how freedom and grace work together. It's not like God's will destroys human freedom. It's not like um, just because he's helping me with his grace that those actions are less mine and less meritorious. It's something that you can argue about what Luther really meant, but how he was interpreted a lot of times was, was precisely the same problem you know? because he, he couldn't understand if God has given us all his grace... How can I have merit for what I do? Where is my merit? And we would say, totally the contrary. You no, know? there is no contradiction. God gives me all His grace. It's a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man in Jesus, and He is our model of what. Of what? In His own person, there is absolute perfect union between the divine nature and the human nature, and and this is our calling. You know, that in us there be union between this. Um, between God and ourselves, and that doesn't destroy the human person, but perfects him. Doesn't make him less man because he's living according, you know, he's like a slave of God's will. Oh, I can't have it, can't do anything else anyway. But, but totally the contrary, he becomes more and more person. Jesus is the perfect man. He shows us what it means to be man. You know? This is a huge theme from John Paul II from day one you know, when he, his first encyclical on on Jesus Christ the Redeemer. Um, really, really stressed. And, and again and again, it's Jesus that shows us, shows to the human person what it means to be man. Anyway, sorry. Now I'm getting kind of on a sidetrack. But thanks for looking at your watch. It's just because of my parking. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's the big first theme. The other one I'll run through quickly. And that is the second um, kind of thing about presupposition of what we're t- when we just uh, you know the t- what we're talking about when we're talking about formation is that especially as we as in Ray Christie we're talking about precisely this Umgestaltung in Jesus Christ this transformation in Jesus Christ and because he is the way of this union between God and man he's saying okay he who sees me sees the father but they're looking at a human person Um they're looking at the human person, Jesus Christ, and Jesus saying, what are you talking about? He, You, you want to see the Father. He who sees me sees the Father. So in his person, um, he's showing what this this covenantal relationship, and so he says, I'm not just the truth who's going to tell you about certain things, but I'm going to show you I am the way you know, to this union with God. And so the way to union with God which is God's plan for the human person runs through Jesus Christ you know, that's kind of our our one of the claims that we have and um, and that's why the formation um, our formation kind of presupposes this working together with the Father in the Holy Spirit who who pours out into our hearts these sentiments of Christ um, this Gesinnung in Christus, which the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 speaks about. And the member of Grand Christi I think, sees his path of formation. Interesting, also, we talk about a path of formation, a way of formation. we just contemplated the scripture passage where you know, from then on he recognized who Jesus is and then they're going on a path to Jerusalem. It's all one. This whole, when we talk about discipleship, following Christ, always this idea of the path, of going a path and we see our formation process above all as a path of a vital, personal and transforming relationship now, it's, it's living a personal vital and transforming relationship with Jesus Christ to such a point that formation really at the end of the day you could sum it up in the personal answer to the basic question of Christ to Peter after the resurrection, do you love me? do you, do you love me? Um, that's that we want to give a vital, personal, and transforming answer to that question you know, that he's asking at the end of his gospel. Um, and this formation process is touching every dimension of the human person. You know. Intellect, um, will, affectivity. Um, so it's not just, again, as we talked about earlier, kind of changing of behaviors, but a, it's much more profound, this transformation that we're talking about to such a point where we can say as St. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 I live but no longer I by the way this is also one of those um, moments in scripture where you have this apparent contradiction where he says Ich lebe aber nicht mehr ich I live but but no longer I so is it who's living now Paul or Christ no you ask yourself it's both and both to the full it's not either or but it's out, out, not at, out. So, both and. Um, okay, so that's the second big aspect. So we had, we had the vocation of the human person and formation. We had the transformation of Christ, and now the last thing I want to mention is just kind of presuppositions for our formation. And one of them, I think, the first one is just anthropo- anthropological realism. To remember, okay. The fallenness of the human person, you know, that we are, we're living in a fallen world, and I think that again, it's it's important to remember that again and again. You know, again, in, in history, philosophers philosophers have tried to um, deny that. You know, Voltaire, with his the noble savage idea, that the human person is is born noble and and uh, pure and uh, but it gets corrupted through culture, basically. It's and education and, and so on, um, and and we say, well, there's something in us that's kind of the threefold concupiscence of the eyes, of the flesh, and the pride of life, um, that that we that that has a pull on us not to. That, that continually pulls us away from this becoming the best version of ourselves. I, I find it interesting sometimes, especially hearing confessions of, of really young people, like I'm taking eight, nine year olds or seven year olds, and they mention all these things, and then you say, Well, did you tell me that because your mom told me that? Or did your Papa told you to tell me that? Or, No, no. And, and they realize, Well, why are you telling it to me? Because they, just to help them to realize, um, You're saying this not not because someone told you to, because but because you realize there's a desire in your heart for something else that there's you want to do the good, but there's something in you that's pulling you to this to do the bad, Um, and and we would we would give that the word name original sin, Um, you know that's in theology when you don't know the answer to something you just say original sin it's usually pretty good pretty good answer, Um, but but to realize and to remind ourselves of that, you no, know, that that's normal and shouldn't surprise us and shouldn't shock us, especially when it's difficult to get rid of certain habits. Um, there's this anthropological realism also that there is such a thing as the, um, the evil spirit is also involved, you know, trying to keep us away from, uh, becoming holy. Um, I'm not going to tell the story the third time, don't worry, but I had a really crazy, um, Experience last week. Yeah. <laughs> With that regards, for the first time in my life. Um. And, <laughs> pardon. <laughs>
1: afterwards, I'll tell you. Afterwards.
0: And then, in this this constant temptation you not know, to relativize the absolute and to absolutize the relative, you not know, to to make gods of things that are not, and to to make of God something not important. And at the same time, though to part of this realism is to know that we have been redeemed in Christ. And this is, again, where we, with some Christian denominations, would see things differently because they would say, basically, well, the human person is totally destroyed. Nature is destroyed through sin. There's nothing we can do. Uh, we could just need to, you know, this strong relief in Christ. And, and we say, well, no, Jesus has come to redeem the whole person, not just his soul, but but everything, his emotions, his feelings, his everything. So that there is a, there is a path, of transformation possible, and then the last point I wanted to mention in this um, kind of uh, you know border presuppositions or things that we need to maybe sometimes be aware of when we're trying to go this path is the the influences of our culture. And I think here I'm, I'm borrowing an idea from Matthew Kelly, which I really like when I read it, and that is this you know I think this idea that really at the basis of our of our actions there's some basic philosophy not necessarily thought through by ourselves and we you know somebody say, what is your life philosophy maybe you couldn't really say I'm not saying about us here but i'm just saying in culture at large you no know? um the set of beliefs by which i choose to live you No, know? and uh, just those are sometimes a bit subconscious and and he talks about three which are very prevalent prevalent in our culture today and maybe have sometimes also on us kind of an influence um which are kind of the basis of, of decision-making in our culture. And the first is what he calls individualism. Um, and the basic question of individualism is what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And and I, I think this is very good because it really is something that, that is very strong. And we think we're all you know, touched by our society. Um, that... And that question can destroy marriages, it can destroy relationships, it can destroy so much, right? If, if that's one of the, like the basic um, tenets for my decision-making, is what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Um, so that's, that's number one. Number two, what he talks about is um, hedonism, what he calls hedonism, hedonismus mm. and the question here is how can i get the maximum pleasure out of things or maybe another another way to put this is 1968 woodstock an idea in if it feels good do it you know, it's about like do what you feel like doing um, that's kind of the basic tenet of this philosophy and I think also that idea can have a lot of you know consequences. And it can be very, very strong at the basis of things. And, you know, what could be wrong if if you have those feelings and and just follow follow your feelings, you know. and, and I think we as Christians need to be careful that we're not too quick to dismiss, ah, that doesn't touch me. You know, that philosophy doesn't touch me, but sometimes it can kind of have influence also in our lives, and, and then the last one is I really like it also is minimalism, which is how can I make the least effort possible? Um, what you know, or it, it has a lot of consequences. Like for example, how far can I go without being sin? You know, well it's kind of for Christians it's kind of the wrong question. It's it, Christ didn't ask himself, well, um, how little can I do? The least thing I have to do in order to save the human race. Well, what? Is the most that I can do to save the raise them. So Christianity is quite maximalistic and not minimalist in its in its thinking. Um, what's the least amount I have to do in order to kind of scrape into heaven, you know, <laughs> I just get into the door? Um, well, that's not kind of the Christian idea. Um, so individualism, hedonism, and minimalism. I think. Um, I would like that idea, and I think it gives a lot of food for thought. You know, to think through my days and my decision-making process. What are kind of what are kind of um, ideas behind it all? And maybe to make that give that those ideas a little bit more traction in my conscience exam, to put a question to them like, you know, what's in it for me? How how can I get um, pleasure out of this? Or if it feels good, do it. Um, and or maybe this last thing: how can I make the least effort possible? In Yeah, and I think all three of those really, really is disintegrating for for um, communities, for families, for relationships, for um, any effort to grow in holiness. No? So, anyway, and maybe th- those could be some ideas one one thinks about now. The last minutes before the mass because we're gonna have mass in ten minutes. Already. Um, and so, just kind of sum up what we're talking about today is I'd like to until Christmas spend some time thinking about. Um, Regan Christi formation. and today we, we just touched on kind of the foundations of a Christ-centered uh, formation. what are kind of the presuppositions that makes that possible and just going really really back, far back and, and thinking about really basics like you know we're creating the image of God and what does it mean? we've been given human freedom and and what is the, the goal of formation is the transformation into him? Um, that it's 100% God and 100% the human person. This is why I think also one has prayers like that of St. Ignatius of Loyola, you know? pray like everything depends on you, on um, on God, and do, act as if everything depends on you. And that's, I mean, that's a very truthful saying, because both things are true. Um, it, you know, it's 100% God, 100% um, man involved in things. Um, and at the same time, it's very beautiful because it shows us how seriously God takes us know it's not, oh, I'm going to love you, I don't care what you do," but he takes us seriously and and he really does love our our good works No, he's, he he doesn't and he really he really appreciates when we try to love him, and it just doesn't say, well, it's all my grace anyway, so <laughs> it's not worth anything no he does, really does appreciate things no? Anyway, so that's basically um, it for today, and we're going to have mass in a few minutes.